Hello to everyone out there in listener land, and thank you for taking the risk that was clicking on this episode of the Multiverse of Fabulousness and giving it a listen. By the time this hits your ears, it would have been old news by now that the WCW Must Die program has indeed died a very painful, long, drawn-out death. Like, if it was a movie, WCW Must Die, the podcast would have been stabbed and been like, You know, like Paul Rubens and Buffy the Vampire Slayer would have taken a very, very, very long time to die. However, I come to you with no regrets delivering this news. It's okay. Creativity will live on. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I guess I do have one regret, which is the reason I've recorded this little preface to the WCW 2000 episode of Multiverse of Fabulousness. WCW Must Die, the podcast, didn't live long enough to get to the Goldberg heel turn at Great American Bash 2000. Nor did we get to see Sting set on fire, or Sting's stunt double set on fire, but hey, it's all there on Peacock if you want to watch it. But what this equates to is I never got to live up to the promise that I made to my listeners of making fun of Scott Hudson for trying to get over the absolute worst nickname for a sports entertainer in the history of sports entertainment. You know, you've got amazing things out there like the immortal Hulk Hogan, the Viper Randy Orton, the Fiend Bray Wyatt, and, you know, the Rattlesnakes. Don't, I mean, come on, I don't, I'm, beat, I'm beating it into the ground at this point. But folks, in the year 2000, Scott Hudson tried to make Goldberg's new nickname The Thug Life. Yes, he called him The Thug Life. Let's use it in a sentence. There's chaos here in the ring. Oh, and here comes the new blood's hired gun, The Thug Life, Goldberg. And that's what it sounded like in reality. Fuck you, Scott Hudson, and your Goldberg nicknames. The Thug Life! That's the Thug Life, Tony. Good night! It's the Thug Life! (laughs) For Pete's sake! It's the Thug Life, Tony. And now, I have fulfilled my destiny by making fun of Scott Hudson's The Thug Life. Let's go on to the regularly scheduled program. Episode 10, WCW Must Survive. It is a time of sports entertainment and civil war. The New Blood and the Millionaire's Club have been decimating TV ratings for months. The evil regime of Bischoff and Russo is to blame, thanks to their ill-fated WCW reboot episode that took place in April on Earth 2000. 
Now, only a handsome, dashing, and humble podcaster named Johnny C can save us as he travels through the multiverse from Earth Prime to rebook the reboot and restore entertainment throughout the galaxy. North-South Connection Podcast Network. Welcome to the Multiverse of Fabulousness. My name is Johnny C, and I'm going to host this smorgasbord of shenanigans. I want to thank everybody just up top for the fact that this is the 10th time that I'm recording the Multiverse of Fabulousness, which started out as just a little pet project that evolved into a universe all of its own. And for that, I am sincerely and absolutely thankful If it's your first time joining us, let me welcome you to the family and let you know what it is that we do here. So, now that the multiverse is pretty much its own pop culture icon, uh, I'd like to add that happened after I started this show. But thanks to things like Spider-Man No Way Home, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and uh, comic books uh, that have been around since the 80s, to be honest about you, uh, have created this, or excuse me, revealed to the masses, the concept of a multiverse, where it might be an Earth that's just like ours, where maybe you have uh, pink hair for some reason, or maybe you're a doctor, maybe you're a dick, and maybe you're not. But what I like to do with the multiverse is travel a boot and search for pop culture variants. I like to find things on other Earths that are different from ours that revolve around our entertainment. The things that keep us sane in an insane world, if you will. We've recast movies. We've rebooked wrestling shows. We've invented video games. And along the way, I hope you've had as much fun as I have. So, our most popular uh, concept here in the Multiverse of Fabulousness so far has been rebooking wrestling shows. And by gum, have I got a doozy for you this go-around. Now, as I mentioned, we're here in the Multiverse of Fabulousness, but you might know me from such spectacular podcasts as WCW Must Die, which is a show that rotates with this one here on the North-South Connection Podcast Network that takes a humorous approach to help you get through the dying days of WCW that, of course, was manned by the pen of Mr. Vince Russo. So, our first episode of WCW Must Die, in order to keep things simple for the listeners at home, was all about the April 10th, 2000 reboot episode of Monday Nitro, where Bischoff and Russo took the creative reins of the company and also debuted as on-screen characters. Now, legendary podcast journalist Aaron George uh, helped me get started on that show, and I can't thank him enough, uh, just on a personal note. But if you haven't listened to that show in the archives... It's going to be a fantastic primer for what it is that I'm going to attempt to do today. And that is rebooking the reboot. 
which, yes, it's just insanity if you really sit back and think about the concept, because I'm going back to redo an episode that was supposed to redo the creative direction for the entire company. And while there were definitely elements that stand out as positive from this reboot, maybe, I do think that it was it was intended correctly. It was approached in a way that I think was not beneficial to gain the maximum potential that you can out of your roster, meaning they separated all the giant... I mean, t- to be blunt about it, not, this is not the storyline. They separated the company into two groups, basically. All the guys who were not main eventers, and the other group was everyone that had been main eventing. And the old WCW adage was that you were always going to get a stellar undercard, but up top you never knew what was going to happen. And that was because of guys like Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash, Lex Luger, Ric Flair, who were, in quotation marks, past their prime, but refused to get out of the way and stay on top. So, you know, booking Hulk Hogan versus Billy Kidman might tickle my insanity itch, but at the end of the day, there is no way that I conceivably believe that Billy Kidman is going to be the victor here. And it's not even a size thing. This is professional wrestling where the story indicates how things go down, not the size of the competitors. Okay? It's just that the Billy Kidman character was nowhere near uh, the type of level of character that should be taking down Hulk Hogan and winning championships of the world and stuff like that. So right from the get-go, it seems as if it's not the greatest idea. I think and this is a little bit of preview to what we're going to get into here in just a moment, pairing up big stars and mid-card stars together was a good idea, but maybe they should have been giving one another the rub and helping one another and not been on-screen adversaries, but on-screen allies. I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but taking the badassness of the character that was Hollywood Hulk Hogan, no jokes aside, he was a he was a badass, like awesome heel renegade. You never knew what was going to happen next in those early days, and then you take a character like Billy Kidman, who's young and hot. He's an aerial combatant, and he's got a hot lady on his side. Now, I, I'm just saying this as if it, you know, using terms that I think are marketable and surrounding the wrestling character. All right, I'm not indicating that Tori Wilson's only value as a performer is how she looks. But that's kind of what, if you're looking at these characters, and now all of a sudden, they're together on the same side. So you've got the clout of Hollywood Hulk Hogan, who can get away with whatever he wants, and you've got the sleek, sexy kid on his side, high-flying, being his right-hand man, getting shit done. Um, you know, so... That, that's going to be my idea and the, the hypothesis that I'm placing going forward. I'm going to rebook the reboot under the prem, under the, uh, the sort of thesis, if you will, that superstars and mid-card stars working together is what, we're, is what we need to focus on to get us where we need to be. And in order to do that, we are going to have a little bit of gang war breaking out in World Championship Wrestling. But hopefully, it'll be better than the ill-attempted gang wars of 97. But let's be honest. When your factions are led by guys like Chains and Savio Vega and... 
God, I can't even remember the other ones. Who else were the fucking gangs? I, it, the nation. Well, the nation was cool, but you get what I'm saying, though. It's not exactly setting the world on fire to be like, oh, the eight-man gang wars tag team match with no rules is finally coming to a head at WrestleMania when the Disciples of Apocalypse take on Los Bariqua. Heads up high, Los Bariqua. Touch the sky. Me, I, oh man, I really wanted to tempt that intro of the Los Bariquas song, but I also don't want to get canceled. I just don't speak Spanish. Man, I'll tell you what, if I could go back and change something in my own personal multiverse of existence, I'd travel back to Earth and say, Johnny C, dude, don't take French in high school, take Spanish. Because being bilingual makes you so much more marketable and valuable. And, you know, that's what we're all here for, right? To make money. That's the reason we exist financial gain so johnny c on earth whatever learn spanish fucking study chinese too while you're at it but don't invest in ruples so as it usually goes with things here in the multiverse of fabulousness when it comes to a rebook or a reevaluation we like to set up rules because after all if there are no rules it's just really easy to be like, Nuh-uh, you can't get me. I got a shield, man. And it's a badass shield. And your laser bolts, they just don't penetrate, brother. I don't know, that kind of was a little Rastafarian at the end for some reason. Maybe it's because I just watched Weekend at Bernie's 2. Forgive me, world. But anywho, we gotta get some rules in place so we can't just say crazy things like, Oh, I don't know. On the opening episode of Nitro... Uh, Triple H comes down the aisle with Stephanie McMahon and she blows him while he's like, I am the game and I am going to be the WCW heavyweight champion. <clears throat> All right, Steph, that's good. You know, th- I don't want that to happen and I don't want that to happen in my little game that I'm playing. Oh, my little game. I didn't plan that, but it happened to you. My little game. I don't want to play the game. (laughs) But here are the rules. I am going to rebook the reboot Nitro, The Thunder, and The Spring Stampede. Because even though it wasn't marketed as a reboot week, it's reboot week here at NBC or at CBS. No more shows about wacky neighbors that have little differences. Or no more shows about old people who are afraid of their black neighbors. Now that's that's not funny like in real life, but I think we can all agree that the CBS sitcom is still hanging on to these tropes that need to die. Mainly because CBS is just lame. Uh, but that's a whole another podcast. But I'm going to rebook the whole reboot week because I think that having all of that television at your disposal allows you to really set the stage for what is an actual reboot. You know, the first issue of a reboot, if you're looking at comics, usually lays out the huge broad strokes. Like, there's only six Earths now, and maybe there were 67 billion before. Or... You know, there's a million Earths, but there's only one Superman across the entire multiverse. Like, you get your broad new rules, but then the whole... It takes the first six issues to tell the complete story. So, rule number one, reboot week. Rule number two, absolutely no mentioning of the names Vince Russo or Eric Bischoff or themselves appearing on camera at all. Keep my booker's name out your fucking mouth.
because I don't want Russo and Bischoff to be characters. It's bad enough that they talked about them in the goddamn reboot ramp-up special. about the new creative direction, Tony? Tony, I'm Mark Madden, and I want to know if Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo can get along, Tony. Anywho, rule number three. Stay in your lane. Now, what does that mean? It means no crazy character movements that don't make logical sense. And the best example I could think of was, I can't just come in and say, the main event for Spring Stampede is Hulk Hogan versus Stevie Ray for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, and Stevie Ray wins in less than a minute by murdering Hulk Hogan with a chair. Because Stevie Ray, not to mention has never been, but at the times leading up to the reboot, was a tag team competitor whose tag team wasn't even the top-ranked tag team championship contender, so that jump is just too huge. But it does work in tandem with rule number four. The goal is to set up movement for the card, not create an artificial value. Because in in the real-world reboot, there was an artificial value given to all the members of the New Blood. All of a sudden, Kidman can compete with Hogan. All of a sudden... Um, Excuse me, Vampiro and Sting can compete with one another as equals. You know, all of a sudden the Mamalukes are wrestling Ric Flair and Lex Luger. That, again, was a crazy thing. Like, it's just the inverse of it, though. Um, because they were presenting the Mamalukes like they were a badass tag team. And, I mean, come on, you've got two legends on the other end. So, set up movement uh, and make the goals clear as to which divisions these competitors are going to be in. Those aren't as tight as some of my other rules and have been as some of my other rebooking specials, but I do think that they are going to help establish the the prism that I want to work in, okay? Uh, with, a, with a concept like this and a reboot, uh, it's difficult to be extremely specific, but I promise I will adhere to these rules uh, to the best that I can without breaking any of them on purpose, and I've been reviewing my notes to make sure that I haven't. So, where do we start? We start at the night that everything changed. It's WCW Monday Nitro 4-10-2000. Now, this isn't necessarily something um, that's like a part of this, but I did break down the Nitro show because it is a, a Monday Night Wars show, meaning that you know they cared about the ratings and how they compared to Raw and what have you. So I broke these, you know, my my script, if you will, down into segments, okay? Uh, kind of like they would on TV. Now, I know in actual wrestling, there might be like 40 segments because every time maybe the camera moves to a new location, uh, that's a new segment. I, I painted in much larger, broader strokes, okay? And this isn't going to be like some shows in the past, like my, my world-famous Hollywood Hogan 93 show. I'm not like doing sketches and voices here, Okay, as I walk through this, I mean, I might do a Kevin Nash impression because God damn, it's just too much fun to do. But I'm not like presenting the live interviews and shit like that. I'm laying things out as if I'm the booker and those folks can go out and get it done on the microphone unless there are specific points I want to make, which there are in a few. And I think that's okay. So segment one, WCW Monday Nitro. We enter the arena. And, you know, the crowd's kind of cheering, getting excited. The lights are all on. It kind of looks and feels like Monday Nitro. But all the lights in the arena go dark. 
a video starts to play on NitroVision. Now, if I didn't mention, this is segment one, which I've slotted out at 8 p.m. to 8.20 p.m., just about, okay? The video says, in the beginning, there was nothing. But then, there was Howard the Duck! <laughs> which I didn't plan on saying, but it, when I said, in the beginning, there was nothing, I thought of Howard the Duck's little narrator guy. I'm sorry. But that's what you come for, right? The shenanigans. In the beginning, there was nothing. And then pyro goes off, like the Chris Jericho concussion pyro, like a big bang, if you will. So in the beginning, there was nothing. Now the video says, then there was everything. And Nitro Vision switches to like a video of all the champions in WCW with their title belts. And then everything goes black again, and the announcer or narrator says, then. And then there's like... The concussion pyro that we had originally times like 38. And it's like the world was born anew. And now the belts themselves are on Nitro Vision without the title holders at all. And, you know, more pyro and everybody should be getting crazy. And that's your indicator right there that the titles have been stripped. Now, look, whether or not you want to say the title stripping or not was a good or a bad idea, that's not what this is about. I'm sticking with it because that's part of the reboot concept. But if you go back and listen to our first episode of WCW Must Die, which I've used as a reference point, stripping the title belts from the competitors and setting up the Russo and Bischoff are a unit concept is the entire twenty opening, like 25-minute opening segment. This is a minute of pyrotechnics and a little bit of nonsense on NitroVision. Once all the fireworks and what have you are done, the announcers don't even chime in yet. We just start playing some theme music into the arena. And wouldn't you know, it's... That sweet, classic Four Horsemen theme, which should pop the crowd. This is a WCW crowd, after all. Okay, it's not like a bunch of WWF fans bought tickets and just showed up. I mean, these people should give a fuck about the Horsemen. I think that's something that kind of gets lost in history is that there were... And if you want to talk about it, just listen to any episode of the Wrestling Warzone, uh, the JT and Chad host that is coming at you, I believe, on Thursdays. Every other Thursday, rotating with the Extreme Three-Way Dance, which is the other side of the war, the ECW side. And they can talk about the difference between a WCW and a WWF crowd, but a WCW crowd should give a fuck about the Four Horsemen. And one at a time, the Four Horsemen come out on the stage. And I should note that they're all wearing their absolute fucking best suits. These are the Four Fucking Horsemen. And here is the four horsemen that we all know and love. Booker T. Good night, Booker T. That's right, Scott. Booker T. The next member, Buff Bagwell. Yes, I'm the guy who just made Buff Bagwell a horseman. And while I don't necessarily love that in my heart, this is the four horsemen we're building, folks. The franchise, Shane Douglas. Of course, he's a horseman. What better way to stick it to Dick Flair than make Shane Douglas a horseman? And the leader of the four horsemen, former horseman, Jeff Jarrett, the Cho-Cho-Cho-Choden one. Actually, that's what we used to call him when we were kids, the Choden one instead of the chosen one. Really sticking it to old Double J there we were as teenagers. What 
is the meaning of this. The four horsemen are coming to the ring, but that's not the four horsemen. Well, but it is the four horsemen, Tony, because this is a reboot. And these are our new four horsemen. But what happens when they come to the ring? So a big piece of information I want to get out into the ether right from the get-go is that this is going to be given to you as if it were an actual reboot. So the four horsemen are not here to come out and say things like, well, we weren't the four horsemen yesterday or we're not the four horsemen you know and love, but we are the four horsemen. They are just the four horsemen. All right, and here's here's sort of the best example I can give you. If comics are being reboot, rebooted and uh, Marvel's doing their whole line and they, they start with Avengers number one. And Tony Stark and Captain America are trying to come up with a new team or they just show up with a new team. They're not like, here's Scarlet Witch. She's replacing Cannonball. We kicked Cannonball out of the Avengers because he didn't pay his due. Like, I mean, I'm just saying, like, they're, they're, they don't go through the rigmarole. It's just, here's the new team, and maybe along the way we figure out, you know, in issue 12 that the Scarlet Witch joined because Captain America asked her nicely and politely and took her out to a nice fancy dinner and paid the tab, and they departed as friends, and he didn't try anything, and good lord, that would be almost impossible to do. Have you seen the Scarlet Witch? And I'm not trying to say that that all Lizzie, that Lizzie Olsen's just a beautiful face. She's a hell of a talent and seems like a nice enough person. And if she's listening, you can hit me up on Twitter at the Johnny C, and we can talk about this in person. That sounds actually creepy. That's just a gag. It's just trying to be funny. But when I say it out loud, it sounded really creepy. But Jeff Jarrett grabs the mic to signify that he's going to deliver the horseman's information, and he's going to disseminate it to the crowd. And he basically says that the four horsemen are here to herald the end of the old ways. And that's what the four horsemen did. And um, I, I forget what book the Four Horsemen come out of. I think it's like uh, Amazing Fantasy or uh, Detective Comics, maybe. I can't remember. But whatever book they're in, um, they herald the, the coming of Apocalypse, uh, much like the Four Horsemen and the X-Men do. They herald the coming of the mutant whose name is Apocalypse. I'm all over the place, but here's the point. They're here to kill the old ways, old WCW. But they're not going to be like, we're going to, we're here to get Kevin Sullivan out of the booking committee. It's no, it's just all in-universe stuff, okay? And uh, they're the, they're not even. Jared says you're, what you're looking at is not the future of wrestling. It's the right now. The hierarchy of power in WCW is going to be established at Spring Stampede. We've got no champions, Tony. Jared says that he was once number one contender which means that he's going to be one of the competitors in a fatal four-way or a four-corners match that's the main event of Spring Stampede for the championship. And regardless of who the other guys are, there's only going to be one champion, and the horsemen are going to walk away with a gold. And unlike the horsemen of the past, we're all equals. He, you know, he pats Booker on the shoulder and he says, "Book, you're going for the, you know, you're going to go for the U.S. title at Spring Stampede, and if you win, when you win, you're going to be the number one contender, and that's how these horsemen are going to control this company. Even if we have to compete against one another to keep all the power in the horsemen, we're going to do it because diamonds can only be compared to other diamonds. You know, meaning that." You know, once they get all the gold, they'll just have to wrestle each other for the gold. And they will do whatever it takes to keep power in the unit, regardless of whatever that might mean. Um, you know, 
they give the four finger salute, and you know they're here. They finish the promo, but Lord no, on a wrestling show we've got some wrestling. Jeff Jarrett takes off his coat and his button down, undoes his tie, and he's got his his street clothes on, Tony. But that's kind of the point of this. He's not going to actually wrestle in that, but he's going to wrestle in it right now. Out comes Chavo Guerrero. And in match number one, Jeff Jarrett just eats Chavo Guerrero for breakfast, beats him ludicrously and quickly, and yep, that, that's it. So how do we summarize the first segment? Well, we've got a new group of wrestlers, a new stable, the Four Horsemen. They're a mix of faces and heels. And I like this sort of alignment because it allows the crowd to buy into competitors that they might like um, even if they don't like the others. So, for example, like if the horsemen come out, the four horsemen, and they're let's say they're all bad guys, and they're at the peak of being bad guys, but I really like Sid. Well, I might not buy any horseman merchandise, uh, but maybe now in this new era I will because it'll be a combination of faces and heels. It's a little bit of an elementary school outlook, I will admit, but hey, at this point, we better try something different because what they tried obviously didn't fucking work. So, yeah. We also found out that Jarrett's one-fourth of this Fatal 4-Way equation for Spring Stampede. And the Booker is going to be in a match for the U.S. title at Spring Stampede as well. It's also a Fatal 4-Way. Segment number two. Running from around 8.25 to 8.30. We just do a quick off-the-top recap of the last segment with the Horsemen. And we talk about Spring Stampede's main event with the Fatal 4-Way. The announcers reveal that the hardcore title has been retired. And that the television championship is back. And the television champion, once they are crowned, will defend their title on every Nitro, on every Thunder, rinse and repeat. And if that champion can net or get in their win column four successful title changes, they can cash in the television championship for a World Heavyweight Championship match. So once you get it, you got four. You know, obviously, if you uh, lose it on the next Nitro, okay, you fucking lost it. But if you get through a Nitro and a Thunder retaining, but you lose the next Nitro, sorry, you didn't get four defenses in. But once you get those four defenses, you can cash it in. And that's a new thing. Um, you might as well make the TV title mean something. Plus, you're guaranteeing it's going to be defended on every show. If you really got a workhorse person, you can strap it to them. And hell, let them get, I don't know four defenses and then they you know they want a challenge but the champion refuses and they get four more and then all of a sudden you know it's like uh, I don't know not, not that they can refuse but you know they can put off the match like oh we can't do the match till next week if Jarrett's the champion and I'm the TV champion it's like well I gotta defend it but I'm supposed to get my match you're being a dick anywho after the description of the new championships a black limo pulls up in the back the cat Ernest Miller and Disco Inferno get out. And they're not really dressed for wrestling. They're dressed in their Sunday best. Mike Tanay runs up with a microphone. Cat, Disco, my sources are telling me that you have a major announcement for tonight. Who the hell are you talking to? Who's Disco Inferno? That's what Disco Inferno says. My name is Glenn Gilberti, and I'm gorgeous. So save yourself some time and call me Triple G. Triple G is what Mike Tanay would immediately restate, because he's a bit of a restater. To which Triple G would say, yeah, today, geez, you don't have to repeat everything I say. Kind of calling out Mike today for being a repeater. And yes, that's a personal Johnny C embellishment that I added in, but I really like it. We cut to a commercial. We return from a commercial for segment three. It runs from 8.35 p.m. to 8.50 p.m. We're dangerously close to the top of the hour, Tony. We have a, a wrestling match. 
It's called a cruiserweight qualifier. And it's the Juice versus the artist formerly known as Prince Iakea. And you know what they do? They have a cruiserweight-style match for 10 minutes. And at the end, the Juice wins. And as the Juice's music is playing, you know the tune. Um, the music cuts out, and the Juice is trying to leave the ring. But then we hear a voice over the speaker, and it says, Hey, Juice, why don't you stay put? I think it's time we let the world in on the secret. And yes, it is indeed Kevin Nash's voice, and the crowd should go crazy. We cut to a commercial to leave them hanging. We come back from commercial, and it's segment number four, from 8.55 to 9.15 p.m. Ow! Dun, 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 dun. Out comes the Nash and the Wolfpack. No, but seriously, out comes Kevin Nash. And he's got a red shirt on with the black NWO stamp logo on it, but it doesn't say NWO. It says WLF. And behind him is Tony Schiavone. Or Tony Schiavone! Good Lord! I should be fired for that, but I'm leaving it in. Behind him is Diamond Dallas Page, and his shirt is the same, but instead of the WLF stamp, it's got a PAC stamp. And it says Wolfpack underneath it, and so does Kevin Nash's. So, folks, let me introduce you to the WLF-PAC, or the Wolfpack. Their logo looks like the old NWO logo. They're not the NWO Wolfpack. They're just the Wolfpack. And by God, we could sell two shirts out of this thing. If you want the WLF, go for it. If you want to represent the pack, go for it. Who else is flanking behind these crazy red bastards? Chris Canyon! Wearing a red and black version of his Mortis mask. Oh, I should mention Kimberly's also with DDP. And who's with them? Chris Candido and Tammy. They come to the ring and Nash grabs the stick for some sort of an explanation. You know, we've always been the best talent in front of this camera. And everybody that comes out here and pays their damn money knows it. But we've kept everything else off camera. Well, boys, it's time to let you in on a secret. We rule that locker room back there. So I figured it's time that the fans see why. Indicating that these guys are all best buddies backstage and they rule the roost because they're the cocks of the walks. Hell, the juice saved my life back in the day in Tijuana. Helped me when I got in a scrap with Senor Sanchez Scaramanga, didn't you, juicer? And he passed the juice on the back. Puts the microphone in front of his face, and the juice says, Yes, Dr. Jones. That's right. It's still the year 2000, so I can't make a progressive gimmick. The only thing the juice ever says is something, something, Dr. Jones. He calls everyone Dr. Jones. Am I proud of this? No, but I do think it's funny. And we don't run from a fight. Hell, we'll even fight each other. Last night, Canyon and Candido had a Tammy on a pole match. And this is, you know, should hopefully make the crowd laugh. But as Nash mentions this, Canyon and Candido give each other the two sweet hand signal, indicating that, yes, they ran the train on Tammy last night because they had her on a pole match. And Tammy is fanning herself and swooning and spiking the camera and shaking her head like, oh, yeah, it was amazing. Um, so, yeah, um... But Tammy, 
you know, she's not the only person in there that's swooning. DDP and Kimberly are swooning over one another, and they're happy to be a part of this group. But Nash mentions, while looking at DDP, that he's been told on Thunder, me and DDP are lacing up the boots, right? In a qualifier for the world belt, for the world belt match at Spring Stampede. DDP grabbed the mic. That's right, monkey. You know, only one of us can go to Spring Stampede. But don't forget the most important stipulation. Loser buys the drinks and gets the last seat on the Kimberly Express. To which Kimberly spikes the camera, swoons, and starts to fan herself. As if, yes, she is also a sex object of the wolf pack. Am I proud of that? No. But it's the year 2000. And that's what gets these sports entertainers over. When DDP is done speaking, he tosses the mic in the air. Canyon catches it. And he's still got the he's got the red and black mortis mask on. He's got the mic and he holds it like the crowd's waiting for him to do his catchphrase. And he says, Who better than Mortis? And up on the video wall, the word everybody flashes, and they pipe in some crowd noise of the crowd going, Everybody! To get over the gimmick that Canyon is Canyon. But he wears a mask down in the ring. And before the match, he says, who better than Mortis? And they say everybody. So he takes off the mask. And when he does, he becomes a wrestling machine. But when he's got the mask on, he's a party machine. He's a mid-carder. Give him something to work with. Is this the best? No. But I never claimed to work for WCW. Okay. So he's taking the mask off, which does indicate that he's about to wrestle a match. Hugh Morris comes down to the ring. And Canyon beats the shit out of him in like 90 seconds and hits the flatliner. He puts the mask back on after the match and, you know, starts to become a wild and crazy party dude as we head to commercial. So now we've got the Wolf Pack and the Four Horsemen all set up with crazy rosters, or excuse me, crazy team members, yes. Crazy configurations and ridiculous gags, yes. But we've got established stars, cruiserweights, Mid-card acts, U.S. title challengers, that's what these groups are composed of. And we give them stupid shit to make it stand out to the crowd. But I don't think any of us can deny that's what Russo was good at. So let's embrace it before we head to commercial. Eh, We have to head to commercial, though. But it's a fake show, so hey, we're back with segment number five. And it runs from 9.20 to about probably 9.35 Eastern Time. Or Western time, it doesn't really matter. It just depends when it's on in your area. We start the scene with a blacked out arena. Again. And some mysterious red liquid starts to run down NitroVision. Now in all actuality, it's just a video of like bloody ooze dripping down. It's like part of your Titantron video, okay? But it needs to look more like slime than blood because this is WCW after all. But the you know the entire Nitro Vision big screen becomes red. Pyro goes off, and red streamers and like pop gun stuff that kind of like Johnny B. Bad would shoot, start shooting out of all four ring posts into the audience. And it's real safe stuff, like paper mache, like cut up little red dots and stuff like that. But it's supposed to look like the ring posts are bleeding, like Mortal Kombat fatality bleeding. This isn't like oh fuck. I chipped off too much of my, you know, when you clip, trip your, when you clip your fingernails and you like, you get part of the skin. You're like, I need a band aid. This isn't that. There is no band aid for ring post bleed, <laughs> ring post bleeds. But the lights come on, and Sting, in his crow stuff, 
is in the ring. Now, when I say his crow stuff, I'm talking his legitimate, like, normal sting outfit, okay? But now, where his lips had the black paint around it, now he has red lips with, like, an extended sort of red Joker smile. And yes, I'm aware. But it's my show. And behind him is another sports entertainer, The Wall. And The Wall is in a black suit with a red button down and a black tie. Now, why, why, you know, go so far as to describe what their wardrobes are? Because we're going to have a bit of a character change, okay? Um, Sting says before he gets started, he's going to need some help. He needs his best friend. And now come Lex Luger and Liz. And he's wearing his normal total package, like team package warm-up suit. But it's now more red than it is black, okay? Sting says that we're the original franchises of WCW, and we just got distracted a little bit. Now, we're going to claim dominance over WCW, and anyone who doesn't fall in line will uh, run into a wall, hence the wall. But it's not about self-glory, which sounds like a typical Johnny C. Saturday night. hey yo! But it's about maintaining for the future. So Sting and Luger are, you know, are, are self-proclaimed franchises of WCW. They believe that they're the best, and they always have been the best, and now that they're back together as a duo, there's nothing that can stop them. And their motivation is to make sure that WCW survives so that their apprentices can inherit the company when they are done. Sting brings out his apprentice, Vampiro, and Lex Luger brings out his apprentice, a brand new superstar to the wars of WCW. He is the former ECW champion, and he is Mike Awesome, making his debut just as Mike Awesome did at the actual reboot episode. Now, this is a new group that's called, as I'm sure to the surprise of no one, the New Blood. And it's a real interesting scenario because it's difficult for me to establish whether or not this particular group are heel or faces. Like, I feel like the Jarrett Four Horsemen stuff, like, kind of organically feels like a heel. And the Wolfpack stuff organically feels a little bit more babyface. But I feel like Sting isn't necessarily here saying that, you know, he's he's been betrayed or he's sick and tired of the little kids or anything like that. He's just taking control to make sure that his franchise, which is WCW, continues ever forward. And the best way to do that is to be the gatekeeper for the next generation. And the best way to be the gatekeeper is to work in tandem with them. So they are brothers in paint, finally, <laughs> instead of brothers in pain. But we've got this new blood group that immediately tries to claim dominance. The Mamelukes come down to the ring for what's supposed to be a tag team match, according to what they were told, but it ends up being a handicap match. And Mike Awesome absolutely beats the Abbott loving piss out of them. A um, couple of quick awesome bombs, and that's it for the one, two, three. But after the match, Mike Awesome puts one of the Mamelukes through a table with the awesome bomb, and then Vampiro puts the other one through the table uh, by coming off the top rope with like a splash or something like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, right away, this is sort of our. I, don't, I guess I'd call it a more mysterious group. And it, it, it does, you know, I feel like Sting and Vampiro as partners or as apprentice and master, if you pardon the expression, definitely fits. And I feel that the wall 
a sort of a stoic, big, sort of evil-looking bruiser guy makes sense to have around as muscle. Now, Luger, uh, despite the fact that he kind of looks like he's something out of science fiction, is a very straightforward, real-person-type gimmick, as is Mike Awesome. But the bond between Sting and Luger is greater than gimmick. And I know, again, that sounds a little cheesy, but my point is is that if Sting wants to do his crazy shit and shoot little red streamers everywhere and paint his face like the Joker, Luger doesn't care because he knows that him and the Sting are best friends and they're the best. And if that's how he gets motivation out of his pupils, that's fine. He's going to show Mike Awesome how to be a total package in WCW. And the new blood is moving forward to claim dominance in the wars of sports entertainment. The Cat and Triple G walk to the gorilla position as we head to commercial. And now we come up with segment six, which would probably run from around 9.47 to 10.07 and would close out the reboot first issue, first issue, I almost called it, first edition of Nitro. The Cat and Triple G come down to the ring and they indicate that it's time to establish some rules. They're here to represent a collective known as the Championship Committee, and our voice is their voice. Now, who is the Championship Committee? So the Championship Committee is one of those like throwaway lines in WCW history that they'd always use when they needed to explain why something was done, and that was just their easy band-aid. Kind of like President Jack Tunney. Well, why is Sid fighting the model Rick Martell tonight? Well, because President Jack Tunney said so. Okay, there you go. That's it. And the reason I put these two here is because I don't... And they're still going to be wrestlers, okay? And they don't actually have, like... They are the voice of the championship committee. That being the Cat and Triple G. And I do see them wrestling occasionally, but they're such great... Well, the Cat is anyway, uh... I don't know that he has long-term sustainability, but his promos are hilarious. His mannerisms are funny. And I do think that uh, the Disco Inferno is pretty good when he's a character. Uh, When the ring stuff starts, I don't know that I'm the guy to judge that. But I think that if you want to have someone work the mic and get points across, get storylines across, I mean, even in TNA, he was kind of like the best of the worst and not in a way that it was like, well, I guess I have to deal with this because it's the best of what I got, but it was like, oh, he probably could be better somewhere else, but here he is in TNA. So I like the idea that these guys are stand-ins for the championship committee. Now, the championship committee's identities are not revealed, okay? Uh, You know, like I said, he's simply the mastermind of the collective, if you will. You know, it's kind of like a situation where Disco and Cat get to the arena and, you know, maybe they get an envelope stuffed full of their orders and they have to go deliver it to the uh, WCW roster or what have you. But it's not like these guys are allowed in the room when the discussion is being had. They feel cooler than they actually are. And that's the that's kind of the point that these characters need to get across. But they also kind of act as our narrators. Okay, they bring us up to speed on what's been going on and what's happening. They say on Thunder, there's going to be two different matches between the four competitors in the United States title match at Spring Stampede. So they're already setting up Thunder. There's going to be Cruiserweight Qualifier number two, where the winner will face the Juice, who already qualified at Spring Stampede. They indicate the tag team titles will be determined at Spring Stampede. And, big shocker, the TV title will also uh, be you know, 
defended, not defended, but there'll be a match for the TV title at Spring Stampede, so we can start that loop of defenses. And, you know, they're feeling pretty good about themselves. But they indicate that the four-way match at Spring Stampede that everyone's been talking about is actually a number one contenders match. Because whomever wins that match at Spring Stampede is going to go on to face the championship committee's number one contender. Who is it, though? The Jabronis, that being uh, Triple G, the Disco Inferno, Gorgeous Glenn Gilberti. How many names you got? Yeah, hold on, Stallion, just a few more. And uh, the Cat. Act like they're going to tell us who it is, but they don't. But the lights go down before anything else can happen. Okay, I will admit, I have overused the lights going down trope. But these guys have really cool choreographed entrances now that I'm in charge, right? And we hear... That's my attempt to do Voodoo Child. And there's a strobe light. And there's black and white spotlights flying all over the arena. And wouldn't you know, it's Hollywood Hulk Hogan coming down the aisle. And he is in full black and white regalia with the beard painted. Literally looks like he's stepping onto the set of Fall Brawl 96, which is like peak evil Hogan look like that. That first fall of the NWO in 96 uh, is just the best when it comes to his his look, his everything. It's perfect. Um, he's coming out, though, and he is legit wearing the old school black and white NWO shirts. But it's it's it's. It's not the silver nonsense they were into at the time. It's the original. Okay? And he's doing the air guitar with his weight belt. Of course he gets into the ring. He starts cupping his ears and he starts posing. And he's he's getting really elaborate with this stuff and really hamming it up. Kind of like he's here to be serious, but he's also being kind of goofy because he doesn't want to let his intentions be known. Now... A Triple G keeps trying to get his attention by, like, tapping him on the shoulder or, like, saying his name. And Hollywood keeps kind of swatting him away, like, okay, hold on, hold on, I'm not done posing yet. Finally, Voodoo Child ends. And Hogan grabs the bike, and he's like, what's happening, Disco Stu? You know, to Triple G. Then he goes to Cat, and he's like, what's up, Catman Do? Which is the best fucking nickname ever for any wrestling character ever is the few times that Hulk Hogan Terry Bollea calls Ernest Miller Katmandu. It just cracks me up. And they're like, what the hell are you doing here? Because they obviously weren't told that Hollywood Hulk Hogan was part of this reboot configuration. And Hogan's got a big grin on his face. He's just happy to be here. You can see he's he's back playing heel. He's back hamming it up. He's no longer uh, confined to some sort of red and yellow nonsense. And he doesn't have an identity crisis. He's like, me? Oh, yeah, dude. I just came down here to give the signal to my new NWO to come down and tear this uh, arena apart. And then he just kind of smiles and laughs. And the other two guys, that being Triple G and the Cat, are like, Wait, what did he just say? Like, and then Hollywood stops laughing. And the cat and Triple G look really scared. And they're like, why, Hulk? Or why, Hollywood? Or whatever. And he's like, why? Because anything else would be too civilized. So now he's clearly that, like, evil Hollywood Hulk Hogan. But again, he's really hamming it up, doing some mustache twirling. But the character clearly doesn't think he's a bad guy, okay? And I don't know that he is a bad guy. He's just cool. 
I know it's really hard for Hulk Hogan to be cool, especially as we get to the latter days, but he's just got to give it his all, man. And the thing is, when he doesn't try, if he's not trying to be cool, but, you know, explain that to him, will ya? So, that's the sign. And Chronic storms into the ring wearing NWO gear. The Harris boys sprint down from the aisle, and no, they're not joining the NWO. They seem like they're here to protect the championship committee, uh, but no one really knows why. But it's like, well, here's the muscle, and they just eat a bunch of chairs delivered by Chronic. Now, the cat is frightened out of his drawers, and he bails, starts to run up the ramp. The camera follows him, and out of nowhere, the cat eats a chair. And the person holding the chair is the kid. And he's in full NWO-branded jorts. It is Billy Kidman. We're going to call him the kid. Billy the Kid. Some sort of nonsensical nickname that Hogan can make up like Catman 2 and Disco Stew. Alright? But he is going to be the cool sidekick to Hollywood Hulk Hogan, as I teased earlier in the intro. Now, Triple G, Glenn Gilberti, is still in the ring. And... He's kind of backed into a corner. And when he looks in the other three corners, he sees nothing but pain. Because you've got Chronic and Hollywood Hulk Hogan. So he bails, you know, out of the turnbuckle post that he is sort of already leaning into. And goes to run uh, through the crowd. But wouldn't you know it, someone is standing on the security rail. And they just jump and smack a chair right across his face. Oh, and guess who's jumping out that sky? It's R-E-Y. It is a masked Rey Mysterio. And he's in black and white like Rey Mysterio pants. And he's got an official Lucha branded NWO mask. He's got it back. And hey, you guys want to make some money real quick? Sell some Rey Mysterio NWO masks. They're selling like hotcakes. As uh, Norman Smiley once said. So... Uh, Triple G is now down for the count. Kathmandu is laying in the uh, aisle, dead. (laughs) And uh, we don't hear or see from the Harris boys again on this evening. Chronic goes out to the ring, grabs a table, sets it up in the ring for the Hulkster, and they go out and start tearing apart like cameras and the the, uh, announce position and stuff like that. But in a really weird way, they're doing all this to get a face reaction. Because I feel like we're so yearning for that old presentation of the NWO where they just ran roughshod, uh, like for the last 10 minutes of the episode and, you know, went to the announce booth and would just talk for, you know, a couple minutes. All that cool stuff that I, I relive on the Wrestling War Zone with JT and Chad, basically, okay? And uh, Ray gets in the ring with his chair. He sets the chair down behind the table the Chronic set up. And so if you're like looking at the camera, if you're the camera and you're looking in the ring, there's a table with a chair. And the person sitting in the chair would be staring right into the camera. Hulk Hogan is just hamming it up in the middle of the ring, doing his ear cups. And he's also got an unlit cigar in his mouth at this point. <laughs> okay, which I know sounds goofy, but it we're, we're getting there. The kid is still in the aisle. And he does the NWO point thing to the entrance and out comes Tori Wilson and an official NWO cheerleader outfit. Okay? Now, behind her are all of the Nitro girls in the matching NWO cheerleader outfits. So, the kid is bringing the heat to the NWO. See, he's the cool guy. He's like Poochie, but cooler. 
All right, and and it's my job to make it happen. Uh, God help me. All right, so everyone gets into the ring. Kidman leads the cheerleaders. Like I said, Chronic's got the announce table in shambles. The announcers are out of there. Uh, they all get in the ring. Ray's in the ring. Hogan sits in his chair, cigar in his mouth, unlit. Puts his boots up on the table, grabs the mic, and casually asks, what are you going to do when the NWO runs wild on you? Drops the mic, lights the cigar, takes a big poof, and copyright. So, that puts an end to the you know first episode of Reboot Week. The Nitro is in the books, and I think there's a lot of mysteries out there that are going to hook you for the next week, or for the next, God, couple days on Thunder. So, now that the episode schematic has been laid out, let's pretty much just put what I've done under magnifying glass and lay it all out for you. I've created four different factions spread out across the different divisions of WCW. Okay, Each one pretty much has a main eventer, multiple lower-tier championship contenders, uh, a combination that could easily make up a part of the tag team division, and most of them, but not all, have cruiserweights. And we've seen throughout the night, too, that there are some, like, lower... Like, all these lower-tier WCW wrestlers that are not a part of a faction. And there are some big ones that aren't a part of any factions, okay? Not everybody has been included on these lists, and we'll get to that in due time. But your guys like your Hugh Morris, your Chavo Guerrero... Well, Chavo can be in the Cruiserweight division, but you're, like, real low-tier guys. The Wall, Hugh Morris. I'm not just trying to keep naming guys who become the MIA. Sean Stasiak, Kurt Henning. They're your kind of, like... Saturday night gatekeepers or they're the fodder that you spring out every week for these guys who are in the actual factions. And I think that by doing that, you're creating a really cool scenario where a guy like Chris Candido might actually get a reaction just because he's in the wolf pack or someone like a tag team like chronic that honestly comes across as kind of lame, but they are big bruiser types. Well, Maybe, you know, being the muscle for the new NWO instantly makes them cool. And this new NWO, I do think, is kind of cool because you've got Hogan playing this different, aloof, but very much in charge, uh, very much keyed into, uh, you know, what it's going to take to to rule this organization. And he's flanked by Ray and Kid, the kid, who are like the coolest, especially Ray with his normal shit back on. He just looks cool. And, of course, we all know he gets it done in the ring. We're going to make Kidman cool. Kidman has an entire entourage of NWO cheerleaders. I've done everything that I can to make him look like, you know, like I said, like a cool version of Poochie. Um, You know, the Horsemen sort of being a very unique group because they're pretty much all heel. But then you've got Booker T, who's a massive fan favorite, but is a diamond on this roster. So it makes sense for him to be there. And the New Blood... You know, I think it makes sense to have most of these guys together, as I mentioned earlier. But, you know, Mike Awesome being a part of that is going to allow him to be involved in this stuff. You know, he's not a natural fit necessarily for a lot of these because he's he's literally a brand new character. Like, this is his very first night. But I did not want to not place him somewhere. So, that kind of sums up what my general idea is. And, of course, we're going to build to the pay-per-view where... At least most of these matches are going to involve at least one individual from one of the factions. So you can see why we've got so many Fatal 4-Ways, uh, tournaments or qualifiers or what have you. Um, 
you know, and, and these these are where the feuds are going to come out of once we uh, get championship belts around these damn sports entertainers. So let's go ahead and cruise on in the thunder and get these feuds rolling to, to start selling some pay-per-views and making some money. It's a Wednesday night, but of course, as we all know, it's previously recorded, that being thunder, but it's okay. Not a huge deal. Let's get into what actually happens for these sports entertainers. So we start with Thunder, and of course, it had, being past tense, the longest opening video in sports entertainment history. I'm going to remove that, and I'm going to make it shorter, and I'm not getting into any more details because it's kind of pointless. Segment one, and I'm not going to do the time stamps because I don't think it's as important because it's not a show that's competing for ratings, and I just thought I would throw that into the Monday stuff to give it the feel of like a live episode, even though it's a podcast that you're listening to at your leisure. Does it make sense? Well, do those Marvel movies make sense? Not all of them. And they still make billions of dollars. So where's my cheddar? Anywho, it's segment number one. It's actually just a match. Booker T of the Four Horsemen versus Canyon of the Wolfpack. And of course, Canyon's obligated to do his Who Better Than Mortis routine to get that over. It's a good match. Apparently, it didn't really happen. So, But but my point is, is that I give them 10 minutes. They're actually out here to have a wrestling match that is a wrestling match to show that these are mid-card guys that are towards the top. Uh, it's it's a, These guys are part of the four Fatal 4-Way U.S. title match at Spring Stampede. And the championship committee had promised on Thunder we were going to get two matches with those competitors. This is the first one. So towards the end of the match, I envision it sort of breaking down with some fighting on the outside. And it does end in a double count out because I don't want to have either one of these guys lose. But here's a little something for the effort or for extra because I don't want to fall into, I don't want to seem like I'm devolving into Vince Russo non-finishes, okay? When they real, you know, they're fighting to the outside and, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, you know how count outs are in wrestling, I don't want this to be like an obvious like one, two, three. I want it to be sort of only you're like one. I'm taking a little bit of too much time too. And when they get on the ramp, that being Canyon and Booker T, they sort of realize that the ref's on like eight and they both try to run back to the ring, but they both try to stop the other person from getting there too because these guys want to win. You know, this isn't some sort of like, I'm going to kill you, feud. You know, they're not fighting on the outside because... I mean, you know how it is in a wrestling match. You wrestle hard nine minutes. Things aren't going your way. It's a stalemate. And then maybe you get a little more aggressive. Um, so it is It is a double count out. And, you know, it's like these guys are shaking hands afterwards. But it's not like they're fighting into the back, you know, because uh, the honor of their factions has been besmirched. It's just a wrestling match. And these guys are wrestlers and nobody won. And they're both pissed they didn't win. That doesn't mean they want to kill the other guy. Just because it's a Vince Russo, Eric Bischoff show doesn't mean that every segment has to end with the, the fate of grim death and what have you and violence. Although, that does sound fun. Nope, I'm not going to do it. We had to commercial. Segment two, we come back to the announcers for some talking heads. You can see clearly that there is extra security around the announce table tonight. And they do bring it to the attention of the viewers because of what happened at the end of Nitro with the emergence of this new NWO. Uh, Mike Tanay wonders who's paying for it and asks Bobby the Brain. And Bobby says, well, like, no, WCW is paying for it because they have to protect me. I'm too important to lose. Oh, please. You know, nice Tony Schiavone uh, 
besmirchment there. They do hype the main event as Kevin Nash versus Diamond Dallas Page, both of the Wolfpack, and the winner goes to the Fatal 4-Way match for the World Heavyweight Championship number 1 contender spot at Spring Stampede. We then head to the ring for Cruiserweight Qualifier number 2. Now, if you recall on Nitro, the Juice defeated the Artist to qualify as one of the members of the Cruiserweight title match at Spring Stampede. Okay, This one is Lash LaRue, who makes his entrance first. His opponent comes down to the ring. It's Chavo Guerrero. Chavo's walking down to the ring. There's a blackout. When the lights come back on, Chavo Guerrero is nowhere to be found. And the NWO cheerleaders are flanking the entranceway, shaking their pom-poms, kind of like they're waiting for someone to come down the aisle. This distracts Lash LaRue for three reasons. One, he sees many breasts. Even though they're covered with athletic support, uh, he's still distracted. And if you listen to any of my WCW Must Die episodes, you know that Lash LaRue is a pervert. And that's okay. Well, I was going to say, and that's okay. Um, uh, You know, because, you know, if I'm be like, uh, Lash LaRue's a shitty wrestler. And that's okay, because he's a nice guy or something like that. But you can't really do that with, he's a pervert, but that's okay. Um, Number two, he's distracted because these cheerleaders are sort of doing like a spirit aisle, as I had mentioned, or like a spirit path, as I had mentioned, which seems to make a person think that someone might be coming down the aisle. He's also confused for number three, he's Lash LaRue, and he's probably always confused. Rey Mysterio, in his NWO garb, emerges from the crowd and absolutely just beats the shit out of Lash LaRue with actual cruiserweight moves in about two minutes and gets the one, two, three. So now we know it's the juice versus, excuse me, the juice of the Wolfpack versus Rey Mysterio of the NWO at Spring Stampede for the vacant cruiserweight title. We head to a commercial. We return back from the commercial for our next segment. I believe it's segment number three, and it's just a regular old vanilla wrestling match on a wrestling show. It is the wall of the New Blood versus Ming. Sting and Lex Luger do come down the aisle with the wall and pose and sort of try to get some heat to the wall because he's out here with some main eventers. But they are not here to interfere or what have you. Uh, maybe they obtained uh, twenty or a two-hour manager's license for the evening. I don't know. It's probably about four to five minutes. It's not going to set the world on fire, but the wall wins clean with a choke slam. I am sorry to do this to Ming. I love Ming. I've hypothesized that Ming's penis is hairy and glorious back in episode two of WCW Must Die. And why do I know the episode references? I guess I just have no life. But uh, I remember that Ming... That's Because that's the only time Ming has appeared in a match was our, our first episode of Thunder, which was a crazy hardcore match where I think he killed Brian Nobbs. Oh, no, Ming tackled the standee of Goldberg that he thought was actual Goldberg. And I prefaced that that should have been his gimmick. He would accidentally tackle things that he didn't realize were not people. And didn't have to always be a standee. Maybe it could be a popcorn machine. Or, um... I don't know, a wacky, wavy, inflatable, arm-flailing tube man. Just, you know, Ming randomly attacking things I thought was funny. And he's a lower mid-card guy, so you can't just march him out to the ring. you got to have one stupid thing that people in the audience can glob onto. I believe that wholeheartedly. 
But like I said, the wall wins. Sting and Luger pose with the wall afterwards and hopefully give him a little bit of the rub. We head backstage, and Ernest the Cat Miller is in his suit, as we know these championship committee guys are. And he's wandering around the back, and, and you notice that he has like a strap across his back, or excuse me, across his front, almost like how folks wear their purses or their messenger bags. And the cat is sort of like creeping around. He turns around, and you can see that it's actually a samurai sword sheathed hanging on the back of the cat. A door opens, and the cat unsheaths the sword in a defensive position. But it's just Glenn Gilberti. And Glenn freaks out at the sight of the sword. And he's like, Cat, what the hell are you doing? And the cat lets Glenn know while he was in the bathroom, because apparently this is a men's lavatory. He's like, you were in the bathroom for 20 minutes. What were you doing in there? But that's not important. Uh, Rey Mysterio inserted him, showed up and inserted himself into the cruiserweight match. So the rest of the NWO has to be here. And Glenn's like, oh, shit. Well, he probably wouldn't say, oh, shit, because it's on Thunder. He's like, they are? And he starts freaking out. And then he looks at the sword. He's like, you got another one of those? And the cat's like, yeah. And he opens up his suit jacket. And he pulls out another sword. But it's clearly like one of those swords that comes with a sheath that's like 99 cents that you find at a discount store. And it's like bright purple or some ridiculous color. And he hands it to Glenn. And Glenn goes, this is plastic. And the cat looks at Glenn very seriously. And he says, they don't know that. And walks away, resheaths his sword, and we head to commercial. Now look, I think that's funny. Hopefully somebody else does. If my comedy doesn't work for you, it's fine, because it's not a real TV show. But the point is, is that in this new multiverse that I'm visiting, Ernest the Cat Miller still has to be a comedy god. And this is what I came up with, and I hope the cat would be proud. And let's not kid ourselves. I think, you know, this isn't like high-level drama. I think Glenn Gilberti and Ernest Miller can handle this quite well. Alright? And yeah, I don't know about the cat carrying around a real sword. I don't know if that's safe. But we're going to assume that he's a professional and we don't have to worry about it. We head back from commercial and it's segment four. Chris Candido of the Wolfpack versus Lex Luger of the New Blood. Well, why are these guys paired together? What do they have in common? Well, as Mark Madden would say, Tony, they both got hot tramps. Now, I don't believe that. I'm simply quoting Mark Madden. And I meant I don't believe the tramp part. These women are fine. There's, and they're worth more than their appearance. I'm just saying that hot tramps is literally a verbatim quote from Mark Madden. You can buy cruiserweight action with hot tramps. That's pro wrestling, people. There, I even quoted the exact thing so you can't come at me. Um... But as I'd mentioned, it's it's Candido and Lex. And I, I give these guys about six to eight minutes. Tammy distracts... Distracts. <laughs> Tammy will distract Lex Luger. And Liz will come over and maybe pull her off the apron. And they'll get into some shenanigans. And Lex is just confused and, and, and you know, absconded by all of this. His focus is no longer on this match. And Chris Candido hits his move. Now, I don't say that to mock Tony Schiavone. I just literally don't know what Chris Candido's move is. He hit his move! And anyone else... Like, there, there's a lot of awesome Tony Schiavone stuff. And there's a lot of bad stuff. And it's it's that way with every announcer, okay? But JR often gets mocked for being like, my God, or like, he's a second, you know, defensive all-team at Tijuana State or whatever. And that's fine. Like, 
You know, I, I made the lights turn out six times in every episode of a show that I book. I have my own stupid shit, too. But I don't hear enough mocking of Tony Schiavone for saying, His move! When he doesn't know what a guy's finish is called. That's his move! It's just, I, and I don't, like, hate it. I love it when he does it now, but it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek I love it. But that's his, that's that's where I get, That's his move from! Um, so Chris Candido wins. It's a shocker, and he gets some momentum rolling into Spring Stampede. And this was, of course, also our second match of the U.S. title configuration. So these guys are both in that match. And we'll, we'll run down the card here in a minute. Back in the championship committee locker room, the Cat and Glenn Gilberti are hiding uh, from the NWO, afraid that they're here. This room also, as a prerequisite for this sketch, must have a giant mirror. That's up to you, Sideshow Bob. Or not Sideshow Bob. What's the fucking guy's name? Boat, boot Ride Bill? Bootstrap Bill? Oh, that's from fucking Pirates. God damn it. It's a guy that Tony Giovanni talks about who shits on glass. Um, God damn it. What's his name? It doesn't matter. He's a guy who like works on WCW production crew. You guys are all screaming at your, uh, your listening devices, hopefully. Uh, being like, his name's fucking Klondike Bill! That's it! Anywho, Klondike Bill gotta find a mirror for this thing. But, again, shocker, the lights go out and the lights come back on. When the lights come back on, the cat and Glenn Gilberti are facing the mirror directly. Okay? And the camera would have to be somewhat behind them so we can see this too. And Chronic is now in the mirror. The guys, being the championship committee, freak the fuck out and unsheath their swords, including the purple plastic sword that Glenn Gilberti has. And they're swiping at the mirror, but to no avail. Chronic is unfazed. Ernest the Cat Miller wonders aloud, How'd you guys get in the mirror? And then uh, Chronic says, It's not important. What is important is that they get added to the tag team championship match at Spring Stampede. Because if they're not, the NWO is about to have their way with them. And of course, the championship committee guys freak out and say, Okay, okay, you're in, you're in, you're in. And Chronic's like, Good. And Glenn's like, Seriously, how the hell did you guys get in that mirror? And Brian Crush, or Brian Adams, would channel his best acting chops that he possibly could. And look sort of strangely at them through the in the mirror's reflection and say, Yeah, you know, we're just behind you, man. And then of course the camera would whip pan and Chronic is indeed just in the room behind them, visible in the mirror. And the cat would resheath his sword and say, Yeah, we knew that and Chronic would walk away, happy that they are now tag team championship contenders. We had to commercial We come back for segment five, and it's a rundown of Spring Stampede from the announcers. So, let's run down the card that we have set in place. TV title, Buff Bagwell of the Four Horsemen versus Billy Kidman of the NWO. The announcers let us know that Kidman was signed for this contest before he broke away from WCW and went renegade and joined this NWO, which is not recognized as an official faction. So, what the hell will happen if he walks away with the TV title, it will no longer be in the control of WCW. And for that, they are fearful. The tag titles, Chronic of the NWO, now inserted into this match, which also puts the fear of God in the announcers. What if they win the tag titles, Bobby the Brain? Yeah, Bobby, what if they win the tag titles? God damn it, Mike. You're restating everything I say. And the question was addressed to the Brain. 
That's okay, Tony. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. That's the only thing I can do with the brain voice, and I don't even think it's that good. But it's Chronic versus the Harris Boys, the ex-champions, and versus a makeshift team of Vampiro in the Wall, representing the New Blood. The United States Championship is on the line when Booker T of the Four Horsemen fights Canyon of the Wolfpack, fights Luger of the New Blood, fights Candido of the Wolfpack. The Cruiserweight title is on the line. The Juice of the Wolfpack versus Rey Mysterio of the NWO. My God, what if they walk away with the Cruiserweight title? And the Fatal 4-Way for the number one contendership, Jeff Jarrett of the Four Horsemen versus Sting of the New Blood versus Nash or Diamond Dallas Page of the Wolfpack, we'll know soon, versus the fourth man, the former champion, Sid, who's allowed to compete in this matchup. And because Sid is going to be in this match and he didn't appear on Nitro, let's have him come down to the... Well, not come down, but let's hit to the back where he's getting interviewed by Mean Gene Okerlund, and he just says, typical Sid shit. He indicates he'll have no problem regaining his title because he is the master and the ruler, etc., etc., etc. Nash and Diamond Dallas Page are in the back walking towards the arena for our main event. We come back for the main event. Nash versus Diamond Dallas Page. I've got it about five to seven minutes, and there are some humorous spots sprinkled throughout. After all, these guys are best friends. But it's clear that they're not holding back. It is a competitive match, but they're also not taking it too far. You know, if 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 Page were to get the diamond cutter, for example, and not get the one, two, three, he's not escalating by like going to get a chair and like trying to kill Nash to win. Like it's it's not like that. And that spot doesn't exactly happen, but these guys are professionals. I'm sure they can get it across. As we sprint towards the finale. The NWO theme hits. The cheerleaders come down the aisle and again do their spirit thingies. Hollywood Hulk Hogan appears on Thunder Vision, and he demands to know, why isn't he in this match, dude? Because Hollywood Hogan equals box office. And you guys know, if you don't give us what we want, we're just going to take it. Never forget, dudes, it's NWO for life which includes all these fans out here that turned their back on us and went back to WCW, well, they're going to come back to the NWO. And what's WCW going to do when the world's full of NWO fans, brother? And don't forget all of our old friends, too. And as he says, all of our old friends, too, and that doesn't have to be verbatim, it's just what I wrote down in the notes to get the point across, and I just read it in a Hogan voice. Uh, but that's the gist of the promo. The, as he says, our old friends are NWO for life, too, the bell rings, and it's not so much revealed here, but, oh gosh, it was in front of our face the whole time. Nick Patrick was the referee. He bails the ring uh, from the ring so he doesn't get attacked and, and walks over to the announce booth and says, it's a time limit draw. And they're like, well, what's the time limit? And he casually mentioned, like, uh, it was like four minutes, but I gave him a little extra time to see if they could have a winner, but it's too late now. He tries to abscond away completely, but he's caught by DDP and Nash and gets like a diamond cut or a jackknife or whatever. Hollywood laughs and watches the whole thing on Thunder Vision and lets us know that his contract is ironclad, which is a shoot that's not a shoot. It's legit. Or it's not a shoot that's a work. It's a real thing, which is why I think something like that works. And so he's got to be the featured performer at the pay-per-view. And guess what? That means he's in the Fatal 4-Way match. Ha, 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 That seems like a uh, 
early 90s video game bad guy laughing when they barely had sound technology. Ha 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 Anywho, that's the end of Thunder and the match at Spring Stampede for the number one contendership for the world heavyweight belt strap is now Jarrett Sting, Hollywood Sid. And I think that sets us up nicely for Spring Stampede and also also sets a precedent that Thunder can actually be a slow moderately or moderately normal slash normal paced wrestling program where there are actually matches and we are still seeing people and we've announced at spring stampede we're going to see more people that are not a part of the factions which is a big important thing too we can't just focus solely on these guys it just so happens that that's where a lot of our storylines are coming from it creates excitement you never know if you're going to see all your favorites but you, you know that it's possible that any one of these faction members can show up on any show. And that's exciting, in quotation marks. I don't know if it's exciting in the real world. But hey, if we don't have fun and play around, you know, we don't get to flex our creativity. And that's what uh, is fun for a lot of us. And that's why we're here. And that's what I care about. Wait, uh, that's a little dit. That's Tommy Boy. <laughs> I make cars for the working American because that's what I am and that's what I care about. I get creative for the North-South Connection podcast fans because that's what I am and that's what I care about. And I just found my new catchphrase. Uh, let's get in to Spring Stampede. And uh, West is Western Union Spring Stampede? I guess it's irrelevant, uh, but we'll call it that, sure. Now, Spring Stampede is coming at you live from Chicago... Illinois in the All-State Arena. So fans, the way I look at it, there's only one way to start the first pay-per-view of the new WCW. A look in my eyes, what do you see? The cult of personality. Sorry, I just said that song stuck in my head. So, of course, the only way to open this pay-per-view is with an interview in the ring or a uh, opening promo, if you will, with the championship committee. You know there are narrators and the best folks that we possibly have on roster to get the storyline across. Now, I do think there's an important reason to engage the audience with information that they're going to share. So that's really why they are here. But... Uh, Glenn Gilberti and the cat come down to the aisle in their best suits as usual, as you guys can tell. I like wrestlers in suits. I don't know why. Although I will say that before I die, I will myself be involved in a suit trying on montage set to I'm Too Sexy for This Song. Haven't you ever wanted to do a montage of trying on clothes to I'm Too Sexy? If you haven't, what is wrong with you? Or, flip side... What's wrong with me? But they get in the ring, and Glenn lets us know about uh, all the championship matches. He basically runs down the card that I ran down on Thunder. And then he also tells us that our opening contest is going to be the Championship Committee Invitational Ladder Match that will determine the first challenger for the television championship tomorrow night on Nitro. So we're really pushing this TV title thing. It's an idea, I guess you could say... I'm pushing it really hard because it's my idea, but at the same time, I think it's a good idea, so that's why I'm pushing it. I think they should do this with the Intercontinental and U.S. titles now. The only way to make them mean a goddamn thing is if you can use them to pivot yourself to a better position. Plus, when you have a person, you know, it's a different way of looking at the titles. 
because you're going to have frequent title changes, hypothetically. But when someone does hold on to it, it makes it stand out. And it's an easy way to elevate people. So like if AJ Styles has it for four weeks and then he challenges for the title, you know, that makes this open for someone like, I don't know, Damian Priest. And maybe he holds it for four months before he cashes in. And then when he does, it's a big deal. And it's like, holy shit, Damian Priest has fucking been undefeated on Nitro and or on Raw and SmackDown for eight weeks. I mean, that's unprecedented. Um, and hey, it's that's not free, Bruce. I'm going to expect some residuals from that. Now, God, I almost forgot. <laughs> you know, I get accused of having a case of Alzheimer's, taking one too many hits. I almost forgot the most important part of the promo. Ernest the Cat Miller, get down here. No, but Ernest the Cat Miller does come down, as I would mentioned. And he's in a suit, but he's also got a little bit of accoutrement going on with his outfit. He's got his sword still strapped to his back. And now he's added a belt. And on this belt, there's a, a pair of nunchucks and a sigh. You know, one of those, like, sigh knives. And in his hands, he's got a bow staff. And, I should probably mention, tied around his eyes, he's got a domino mask to conceal his identity. And after Glenn is done announcing all of these cool things and stipulations, he hits us with the last piece. Don't forget that after the Fatal 4-Way number 1 contendership match, the WCW World Heavyweight Championship match will begin between the winner and the championship committee's number 1 contender. So, that's the reason they're really here. To plant that seed and remind everyone that, you know, there's a a quote-unquote big surprise coming uh, towards the end of the show. Now, of course, it's like, well, it's a pay-per-view, so why do you really need to hype that? I think you need to get your internal audience or your actual live audience engaged in that. Sure, they're here. They're wrestling fans. They bought a ticket for whatever reason, hypothetically. But at the same time, we want that constantly in their minds. So during the championship or the, the four corners number one contender match at the end, the main event, if you will, they're excited with anticipation of what could be happening. You know, so even after the, the one, two, three or the bell rings in that match, there's still a smatter of anticipation because the show is not over. Before they leave, though, Glenn Gilberti can't help but ask the cat, what the hell is he doing? And the cat's like, don't use my real name! And Glenn's like, what? What are you doing? And the cat's like, I'm hiding from the NWO. He's like, what? And he's like, yeah, they won't recognize me when I'm dressed up, so don't use my real name. And Glenn's like, your real name is the cat? And the cat's like, you know what? When I'm dressed up like this, I'm a martial arts artist, so just call me Rembrandt. Yes, Rembrandt, an artist. Like Michelangelo, Donatello, Raphael, and Leonardo. They are also artists. And say, I think the cat might have raided their wardrobes before he came down here. Yes, he's dressed like a goddamn Ninja Turtle. Or all the Ninja Turtles combined. And you know what? He calls himself Rembrandt. And it's a stupid joke. But you know what? I'm going to allow it. Opening contest. The Championship Committee's Invitational Ladder Match. This match is fucking crazy. It's Ming... Versus Norman Smiley, versus LaParka, versus the franchise, versus DDP, versus Tank Abbott. This has clusterfuck written all over it, but it also has, oh my god, Tank Abbott and Ming are beating the fuck out of each other with a ladder in the middle of the ring, and I need some popcorn. So go get me some, because I'm not moving. 
I envision Tank Abbott winning and becoming a force, perhaps, in this television division. And those kind of rhyme. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to be, like, put on record saying that Tank Abbott is uh, very good or anything like that. But at the same time, I feel like if you have a guy like this on your roster, you need to promote him as a force. One of the things that happened to Tank Abbott through this new Blood Millionaires Club routine that happened in the real world is that he was not a dominant type character that went out and just won matches every time. Meaning that like he should be in short under one minute squash matches just beating no-name guys until he finally gets a shot. Um... You know, that, that's a way to book someone like this. So if you put Tank in this match, he's kind of got to win. And we'll find a way to get him, you know, to make... Because he, he's not winning the cruiser, the TV title, especially after I go through that routine. I go through so much to put it on the person that's winning it. He's not going to be that guy. But there needs to be some shenanigans maybe so he doesn't. But he does win this match. And, uh, you know, I guess we just kind of all have to live with it. We cut to uh, the backstage area after the match, though. And it's the there's this big, large door in the arena where the championship committee's logo is plastered on. And good old Rembrandt is guarding the door. Glenn Gilberti walks up, and he's like, Cat, I need to get the TV title out of the room or out of the vault, whatever, so let me in. And Rembrandt's like, Cat, you saw a cat where? And he kind of looks around. And Glenn's like, No, you idiot, I'm talking to you. And Rembrandt's like, uh, I don't see any cats around here, sir. And Glenn's like, God damn it. Rembrandt, I need to get into the room so I can get the TV title. And Rembrandt's like, oh, no problem. Can I see your ID? And Glenn's like, what are you talking about? Rembrandt pulls the sigh out of his belt and kind of looks at it. He's like, ID, please. So Glenn begrudgingly, you know, reaches into his jacket pocket to pull out his wallet, but he can't find it. He says, I don't have my wallet. And Rembrandt's kind of looking at the side like, ooh, this thing sure is sharp. And the cat's, or Rembrandt's like, I'm going to need some ID. And so Glenn Gilbert, he kind of spikes the camera, looks at the cat, hangs his head down low, and he goes, fine. And he does the disco point dance maneuver. And the cat's like, oh, Mr. Glowbirdie, wonderful to see you. Come on in. <laughs> uh, Glowbirdie probably looks back at the camera and is like, it's a living. <laughs> okay, he doesn't actually say it's a living and the little horn thing doesn't happen. But these guys are funny. The announcers back in the arena hype up the new concept of the television championship. The horseman theme starts and here comes Buff. Now, Buff is going to have a brand new horseman-style presentation. The first thing we're going to do is get him some short trunks. The next thing is a Scott Hall-style horseman vest. He's not going to do the Buff dance bullshit. No more hats, no more finger guns at the pyro. Unfortunately, it's probably too expensive to get laser surgery to remove that rope from his arm, so we're going to have to deal with that, unfortunately. Uh, He still flexes, though. But not in a way that's like, ain't I pretty? But in a way that's like, look how dangerous I am because of my muscles. 
The cheerleaders come down the aisle and form the, the little line thing, and the NWO theme hits, and out comes Kidman, and he's so much cooler than Poochie, you guys. Like, 63% cooler than any Poochie you've ever seen, okay? And he's got black jorts on, he's got the NWO shirt, but on his, one of his arms, he's also got one of those cool Allen Iverson sleeves that Iverson used to wear around this time with a big NWO logo stamped on it. Now, why does that matter? Because Allen Iverson was cool, and so was that fucking sleeve. And that's going to make Kidman cool by default. Kidman poses at the top of the cheerleader line. Tori Wilson breaks, breaks ranks. Say that three times fast. Goes the kid, rips the NWO shirt off of him. Takes a big, deep inhale to really, you know, embrace the poochiness and get a get a good, good feel down in her belly of, of what Kidman smells like. Because, by God, that gets her going. Kidman looks on in approval. Smack, or gets, uh, gets some glad hands for the rest of the cheerleaders. Sprints down the aisle. Throws a shoulder block onto Buff. And the bell rings. So... Match number two is indeed for the television championship, um, and it is Kidman versus Buff. One of the cool things about these NWO cheerleaders for the Poochie, or excuse me, for the Kidman matches, is that they're actually going to cheer in the match. So if Kidman needs a stamp of approval, they might launch into like, you know, I don't know. Uh, S-U-P-E-R, that's the way, N-W-O-R-G. R-E-A-T, that's the way my Kidman be. Super great. Super great. Super great. There's some shit like that. Kidman goes over clean with the Shooting Star Press for the 1-2-3, and he's the new television champion. Before he leaves the ringside area, he sends the cheerleaders down to the announce table. Uh, They grab the TV monitors one at a time and abscond with them. Kidman goes to the announce table and thanks the announcers. And Tony Schiavone's all like, what are you doing? Those are our TV monitors. And Kidman's like, oh, I'm the TV champ, so these are mine now. And just kind of walks away casually. Backstage in the New Blood locker room. It's kind of uh, an interesting look. The, the It's a big room, and it's kind of split down the middle. And on one side, it's very Sting and Vampiro-themed. And the wall stands in the middle. And on the other side, it's very much like gym themed because you got Luger and Awesome working out but it's not in a way to segregate them because Vampiro will come over you know give slap fives with Awesome let him you know say you ready for this you know I was born for this (laughs) that's what the career killer would say or something like that Sting is in the back on a giant throne tells Mike Awesome to make him regret ever challenging you because I guess maybe on Saturday night or something Bam Bam Bigelow challenged Mike Awesome to a match so, match number three, Mike Awesome with Miss Elizabeth versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Ironically, this match kind of happened on the actual Spring Stampede pay-per-view. But if you were to read the results, it would say Mike Awesome defeated Bam Bam Bigelow when he pinned Ernest the Cat Miller. It's best not to ask, but it's covered in the archives of WCW Must Die. This would be a squash match. Uh, and anyone out there looking to relive these guys' glory days when they fought in ECW, just a reminder that Bam Bam Bigelow is now wrestling in a t-shirt. So, it's not happening. In the backstage area, Mean Gene Okerlund is with the juice to hype the Cruiserweight Championship match, which is coming up next. He says, 
juice. It's certainly been a whirlwind week here in WCW. You have to be feeling confident heading in to the Cruiserweight title match. Not only were you the first to qualify, but now, with your best friends and the Wolfpack cheering you on, you seem to be in a great place to battle Rey Mysterio of the NWO. Any fears that they could get involved? And the Juice just says, No time for love, Dr. Jones! And absconds away. Gene spikes the camera and says, Longfellow couldn't have said it better. After Mean Gene's great intellectual thoughts, we transition back into the arena for the next contest. And it is, of course, the fourth match on the card for the Cruiserweight Championship. The Juice of the Wolfpack taking on the NWO's Ray Mysteric. <laughs> you know, I call him Ray Mysteric jokingly, but I've always been fascinated by the Starcade 1990 Collision Course pay-per-view. If you've listened to anything I've done, uh, I guarantee I've probably referenced it at least twice. And here's why. Not only does it have the fantastic Black Scorpion nonsense payoff, which, as I'm sure you can imagine, is a big selling point for myself, it also has this ridiculous Tag Team Championship of the Universe uh, tournament. And it's got some great Paulie Dangerously, Jim Ross commentary with Paulie in full sleazy stockbroker mode and Jim Ross in full uh, Florida State second team all defensive tackle uh, mode, if you will. But Ray Mysterio Sr., uh, I think it's Ray's uncle is who he took the name from, is actually one of the competitors representing the nation of Mexico in this tag team championship of the universe. And between Gary Michael Capetta on announcing the graphic that says the name of Mr. Mysterio, the Starcade stats that show the name of Mysterio, and Jim Ross himself, every time someone on the show says his name, it's a different name. I think at one point, Ross calls him Mysterio, and within like 40 seconds calls him Mysteric, like with an IC on the end, because that's how it came across on his name card. So Jim Ross starts to doubt his own intellect because of the printed word. I don't know. It's just hilarious. I recommend it wholeheartedly. Speaking of recommendations, I'd recommend this match to someone who likes cruiserweight-style matches. I envision it as like a 12 to 13-minute match that's actually a wrestling match that's in the cruiserweight style, regardless of the fact that Ray's in the NWO and the Juice is in the Wolfpack and he has a silly gimmick. They're just out here doing wrestling, which is what these guys do first and foremost. I have the finish envisioned as the Juice on the top rope coming for like a flying body press on a standing Ray Mysteric. I'll stop, I promise. Uh, Ray would duck this, and the juice hits the ref. Uh, So we've got a juice is down and a ref is down scenario with Ray Mysteric unable to capitalize because there's no ref. When all of a sudden, here comes this executioner to assist his Wolfpack little buddy. But we notice something about Kevin Nash as he comes down the aisle. And this, I actually think, is a cool spot for, an, for a feud that we can have moving forward. Nash comes down the aisle wearing Rey Mysterio's old mask. The same mask that Kevin Nash won in a mask versus I don't know what match at some point. Because we all know that Nash is the guy that historically talked down the cruiserweights. And also, uh, I, I think booked himself, maybe. I don't want to speak out of school on Kevin Nash. Uh, but I think he can handle it if I do. I think Nash booked himself to take Mysterio's mask, so it's kind of like a 
jeez. <laughs> like, how much are you going to take from this guy, Kev? You know, how much do you really need to get Ray's heat to make yourself a better competitor? But, of course, this would piss off Ray Mysterio to no end. Uh, you know, the, the, the Bean reminded that not only did he lose his original mask, but Nash is just a prick to cruiserweights in general. Nash is very close to the ring. He's maybe even standing on the ramp and holding the ropes and taunting Ray furiously, trying to draw his attention so he can help the Juice get the upper hand. Out of nowhere, Kidman jumps on Kevin Nash's back while holding the TV title. Now, Kidman's in the NWO, so he's got the sneakiness powers. He can come through the through the aisle. He can come through the crowd. You know, it's really up to him at this point, and I don't really care. I'm not going to get into that much of a detail. But Kidman throws Ray the TV title and jumps off of Kevin Nash's back as if, like, do it now. Ray jumps, smacks Nash in the skull with the belt, and Nash is down. Uh, Ray would then turn his attention back to the juice. They'd maybe, who's now on his feet, they'd wrestle for like 20 seconds. Ray would hit something, and the ref is up now, so we get a one, two, three. So the NWO version of Ray Mysteric wins the cruiserweight strap, and on the way out, Ray and the kidster put their feet on Nash's chest and hold the belts in triumph. The vanilla guys, or vanilla cruiserweights, I'm not going to use Nash's words, stand triumphant above the executioner and leave through the crowd. In the back, Jeff Jarrett and Booker T are both preparing for their matches. There is, however, a knock on a door, and it's a guy with a delivery package, and this excites the cho- or well, I guess he's not the chosen one. I guess Jeff Jarrett. This excites Jeff Jarrett to no end. As the delivery guy hands him the box, he sort of has his t- his hands out, you know, maybe looking for a little something for the effort. And Jeff Jarrett spits his gum in his hand. The delivery guy leaves unsatisfied, as most people leave Jeff Jarrett's locker room. He hands the package to Booker Man and tells him it's a surprise for him. Booker opens it, and it's new boots. They're black boots with the Ford, the number four on them, like Four Horsemen style, wrapped in cool flames, indicating that Book is now, you know, a man of two worlds. He's Harlem Heat Booker. He's, you know, the book we know and love, but now he's a horseman. And the horsemen ride together and in style. And, the, and this is a genuine moment, like, to show that the horsemen are a cohesive unit. That's important. This isn't, like, shenanigans. And there's another knock on the door. And Book's like, I'll get it. And it's the same delivery guy. And he has another package that's much larger and harder to carry. Booker takes the package. And, you know, how about a little something for the effort? And Booker, while he's a horseman, he's not quite as rude as Jarrett. And so he does give the delivery guy a tip. He takes the Breathe Right strip off of his nose and hands it to him and tells the guy he could probably sell it for a pretty penny. And the delivery guy once again leaves. Not so much unsatisfied but very, very confused and wishing he had another job. It is a package for Jarrett from Booker, and it is a redesigned version of Jarrett's guitar that he uses to murder people with, the acoustic equalizer, as Scott Hudson lovingly calls it. And now the NWO logo of the past has been replaced with a new Four Horsemen logo. Back into the arena for match number five for the Tag Team Championships. It's Chronic of the NWO, 
versus the New Blood configuration of Vampiro and the Wall versus the Harris Boys. Before the match can start, though, Tony, something's going on in the back. We cut to the back, and the Harris Boys are bloody in their locker room, much to the happiness of hopefully everyone who's ever heard of the Harris Boys. And then even further in the bowels of the arena, the Wolfpack and the NWO are brawling as a fall, as the fallout of this attack on their leader, Kevin Nash, by the Cruiserweights. And so we'd have Chronic and Ray and the Kid and Kidman, I almost called him the Kidman instead of the Kidster, fighting against the members of the Wolfpack who are still active. Hogan's not in this fight, I want to point that out. But needless to say, Chronic has their hands full, and the Harris boys are out draped in blood indicating they've most likely, to the audience's recollection, been attacked by the new blood. So Vampiro grabs the microphone and says, well, ring the bell. Ring the bell. You know, give us the belts. This is it. The bell does ring when all of a sudden, woo, the nature boy is here. But the nature boy is not alone. He's got the nature little boy with him because it's Ric Flair and David Flair. Rick has the stick in the ramp, and he lets us know Something that went down this past week. Sting visited the Carolina Flair compound that we all know and love that Vince Russo exposed the horrors of to us in the real world. But Sting came on a recruitment mission, trying to get David Flair in the new blood. But Ric Flair intervened in this. He respects Sting, and he respects Luger on the highest level. I've even called him my friends. But I saw something... That's kind of a Ric Flair-Hulk Hogan hybrid impression, so I'll just talk normal. Uh, He saw something in Sting's eyes, though, that frightened him, that made him uneasy. And these are the eyes that have faced down Vader, Savage, and Harley Race. Woo! But I've never seen anything like this. Not like what I saw in the eyes of the Stinger. So, the Flair family is here on a united front, and they're not sure what's going on in the new blood but they can't let them gain any power in the wars of world championship wrestling. So the bell has rung. Rick enters the ring. David grabs the tag rope, and it looks like we've got an impromptu realignment for the tag team title match with the new blood versus the Flair family. Rick and Vampiro lock up. As they do, David Flair comes into the ring with his crowbar and beats the hell out of his dad. One, two, three. Vampiro and the Wall win the tag titles. And David Flair has a new family in the new blood. So yes, even in an alternate reality where I could literally change anything, do whatever I want, play God, if you will, I have still set up Ric Flair to feud with David Flair. I don't know. Maybe it's the Vince Russo in me. Maybe we all... <laughs> you guys ever see that movie Godzilla 2000? We're at the end. The, the smart scientist guy is like, you know, I think we all have a little Godzilla in us. <laughs> Which is just fascinating from not only a scientific perspective, but from just a, what? <laughs> Did you just say perspective? But I think, I guess in this world, we all have a little Vince Russo inside of us. In the back, however, we're about to learn that we all have a little Tammy in us as well. We're in the backstage area, and it's me, Gene Okerlund, with Chris Candido, Tammy, and Canyon wearing the Mortis mask. Mean Gene Okerlund wants to know, how can you coexist in this match as both members of the Wolfpack 
trying to obtain the championship of the United States. Tammy says, Oh, Gene, these men are able to coexist together in many unique configurations. In fact, after the show, we could probably teach you some things. Tammy, they haven't even invented the vaccine for whatever you'll give me. I don't mind telling you. Now, let's head back to ringside. Match 6, Booker T of the Four Horsemen versus Canyon of the Wolfpack, Chris Candido of the Wolfpack, and Lex Luger of the New Blood. I see this as a decent 10-minute match. Chris Candido and Canyon probably work together a bit. Uh, The ending would take us to a spot where Liz and Tammy can't get along at ringside. It's a little obvious. It's a little on the nose. It's a little... Nah, I, don't, I was gonna, I was gonna call it demeaning, but like I don't know. What's kind of cool here is you have Miss Elizabeth and Tammy, arguably the two most influential female characters in the WWF up until, uh, I guess I would say, China. I don't want to give the credit to Sable, um, because I, you know, Sable obviously was like the, it was Sable like Sable was kind of like the reason they brought back the green women's championship belt, um, that eventually like. Trish Stratus would elevate with Lita and all the other competitors and I don't know it's just you have you know if Miss Elizabeth and Sonny in a vacuum you know if this was like a comic book and we're pulling the most important character if this is like DC versus Marvel you know uh and we where we have to make like 80s Hulk Hogan fight like 80s Sting or whatever now I'm kind of way off the rails I think you kind of get like Miss Elizabeth and Sonny fighting one another for dominance which would probably eclipse Jubilee versus Robin in terms of entertainment value. So I say book it. But they would fight. The Wolfpack would try to get involved to break it up. Lex Luger would try to take advantage of the scenario as opposed to helping Liz. But Booker would use the distraction to get the bookend on Lex. One, two, three. Booker is the United States champion. And he fights the match clean. You know, he doesn't really do anything negative. To, he's not, like, actually taking advantage of this scenario. It's just a wrestling match. And this guy's not paying attention. So, yeah, I'm going to bookend him. I'm still a good guy, etc., etc. The announcers hype the main event. And they break down the championship configuration that currently exists within world championship wrestling the four horsemen have the united states championship the new blood with the tag team titles the nwo has the cruiserweight and television titles scott tell us about the wolf pack the wolf pack doesn't have anything tony for pete's sake now our main event of the evening match number seven to determine who will face the number one contender of the championship committee? Sid, Hollywood, Hulk Hogan, Sting, and Jeff Jarrett in another four-way match. Now, the characters in this match would all be sort of in their peak versions of, their, of the new characters that they've sort of taken. Sid is a fired-up maniac. Sting is extra creepy on his entrance, and not really doing any of his normal mannerisms. Um, So, you know, kind of trying to make the audience guess, what is this guy really up to? Jeff Jarrett comes out, uh, he's got his new guitar, and he now comes out to the horseman music as opposed to cowboy with the top laid back in the sun. Or the peacock dub, I guess. (laughs) 
Stop that! Yeah, I'm kind of an expert in Jeff Jarrett's Peacock dub, unfortunately. I can add that to my resume someday if I ever go out back on the job hunt. And I'm sure the guy in the interview will be like, Excuse me, expert in Jeff Jarrett Peacock communication? I beg to differ. You know, and I'll, I'll interview with the one other guy in the world who likes to... <sighs> Enough. It's like watching Family Guy. You guys ever feel like you're watching Family Guy? And not the good Family Guy, if there was such a thing, but like the really modern, like, bad Family Guy. That's kind of what listening to my show is like. Um, but Hollywood would also, um, you know, be at his, his top of his new form where he's vicious, uh, but not so much in a Healy way, more in like I'm the best type of way, but also really over the top with his chicanery. His entrance would last so long that the bell would ring during his entrance and Sting would go out to confront Hollywood. And this match is basically two tales. Jarrett and Sid wrestle a wrestling match in and around the ring area. And Sting and Hogan pretty much brawl all over the arena. Now, Sting and Hogan, especially in the year 2000, are not two guys that I would trust to go out and brawl in the audience in an entertaining fashion. But maybe these two performers in this alternate reality are really, really amped up and excited about their new character directions, okay? And Hollywood, like I said, he's, he's not running from Sting like a heel. He's vicious and very over the top. Like, if they're fighting on the outside, picture, like, Hogan just murdering Sting with a chair and being really vicious, but then sort of pivoting and taking the guitar or the guitar, the chair to like the air guitar position and playing the air guitar and being like, oof, oof, oof. That's him making funny mouth movements while playing the guitar. But I I kind of like this as Hogan. You get the, you know, I I just reviewed for Cronosa Daily, like Hogan versus Orndorff in the cage. And because they're in the cage, Hogan is able to do some real, like, especially for the 80s, heel stuff, like choking Orndorff with his headband. But as he's doing it, he's, like, excited and, like, shaking his hips like the 80s Hulk Hogan does, like when he would dance to his music. But it's, like, a, such a cool version. He's, like, at the peak of his physical condition. He's obviously out there happy because he's fucking bringing in the dollars. And the crowd eats up his shit regardless of what he does, face or heel. So... That's the Hogan that I want. I want him to dress like the heel, but act like the major star he was. Um, I don't know. It's it's just kind of what I have in my head. I, I really I really like it. Um, but yeah, eventually though, eventually the the few the fight that they've been having on the outside puts them in a in a spot where they're in the back and there's no camera to you know to track them. And we focus now on Sid and Jared, who are in the in the arena or in the ring, just having a match. After about maybe two or so minutes, they go to the outside. Jarrett runs out there to grab his guitar, uh, but Sid, you know, goozles him around the announce table, puts him up in the choke slam position, and as he's up at his peak and he goes to slam him down, we do like a double KO spot where Jarrett actually breaks the guitar over Sid's uh, face. <laughs> But the momentum rule, gravity though, dictates that Jarrett must come down through the announce table in the chokeslam position. So it's chaos. You know, everybody's out and Sting and Hogan aren't even in view. Sting and Hogan re-emerge from the backstage area 
come through the curtain and walk down the ramp. And Hogan is clearly in control of Sting. He's got him by the hair, and they run down the ring, and, or they're running down the, the ramp. And Hogan throws Jared, uh, Jared, God, throws Sting into the ring, and you know gets in over him, and he's like, you know, in full like Hulk up mode, like what you're gonna do? Sting and Hogan lock up. Sting pushes him off. Hogan throws a big boot. Sting eats the big boot, takes a stiff right hand, and instead of going for the leg, Hulk just goes for the cover and gets the one, two, three. So Hogan has defeated Sting. And even though Sting was all, you know, amped up and had these new crazy lunatic new blood powers, Hogan was able to beat him pretty easily. And uh, I think without any debate as to who is the better sports entertainer. As Sting rolls out of the ring, the cameraman decides to get in nice and tight on Sting, and it's clearly the NWO Sting. What? That's not Sting! I know Sting, and that's not Sting! You know, Tony Schiavone doing shit like that on commentary. Sting then, upon noticing the cameras in his face, runs comedically to the back. So yes, you know, it's the NWO Hogan. He's at the height of his powers in terms of what they're willing to try and attempt to do. I think it makes a lot of sense that the way he's sort of behaving and the way the NWO is acting, like they're in control, they can do whatever they want, they might show up at any time and run rough shot. that bringing back the old NWO sting is a nice callback to that. So, And plus, it's a cunning way to you know win, but it's also a smart way to win. I mean, how could you boo him? for being smart enough to figure all this out and plan this, you know, when he's entertaining you and playing the air guitar. You can't. So he's like a crazy tweener. I don't know. It's it's just kind of what I like. Now the championship committee is here. And Glenn Gilberti is like, oh, you think you're so smart, don't you, Hollywood? Well, the championship committee is all about opportunities. And the number one contender has been waiting for this opportunity his entire life. So let's bring them on out. And the sirens hit. And of course, if you've got your scorecard out at home and have noticed who hasn't shown up yet, it's Big Papa Pump, and he's in the best shape of his life. He comes down the aisle and stands to pose right in front of the championship committee, just kind of like because they're standing right where a person would stand to pose. And, you know, Glenn's got his hands on the muscles like, this is our guy. This is the guy for us. And the cat is doing the same because, you know, he's, he's taking his weapons off and he, it, it, weapons away and he's, he's got his mask down. He doesn't need protection now because Big Papa Pump is finally here and everyone's finally in on it. Uh, but Big Papa Pump will have none of this. If you're not one of his freaks, you better not touch his muscles. And he immediately just turns and slugs them. Now, this is important because I want to get the point across, because I only have one episode of my, my podcast to talk about this, because I don't, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm not going to fantasy book my own 2000 league and have it be an ongoing series. Can you imagine? No one would ever talk to me again. But Big Papa Pump is not with the championship committee. He's just He was named the number one contender, and I'm sure they thought that this would ingratiate them to him. But he is an island unto himself. He's not going to, of course, turn down the shot, but you can't control a big pup pump, if you will. Hogan, though, doesn't run. He looks hyped for a good fight. The bell rings, and so this is it, guys. The finale. It's big pup pump 
versus Hollywood Hulk Hogan for the world strap. It would be an all-out brawl for about 10 seconds, a fist fight, a big boot by Hogan with no effect on Steiner. Steiner does a double leg takedown, shoots the half, gets Hogan on his chest. Steiner spins around into a, uh, you know, whatever, drop toe hold, like spinning thing, amateur wrestling, and uh, he gets Hogan in the recliner. Pretty swiftly, pretty easily, but not in a way that makes Hogan look bad, in a way that Hogan was totally bringing the offense, but Steiner, we all know, has that amateur background, and he's fresh. You know, he didn't feud around the arena with Sting for 10 minutes, and uh, Hogan's not, of course, going to tap to the recliner. I'm not even going to ask him to, so he has to invoke his creative control, brother. He's, we're just doing a pass-out spot. Um, and I think that that makes sense. It doesn't make Hogan look bad, you know, because maybe while he's getting reclinered, he'll be like, oof, oof, I'll get you for this, Scott Steiner. You know, and then, that you know, it, it, not comedic like that, but... It's clearly not done to make Hogan look bad. Um, it just is what it is. Scott Steiner is your new WCW champion. The pyro hits, and we end the show. So there you have it, folks. That is the rebooking of the reboot complete. I and, and the guest shows over the, the guest shows the guest hosts over the course of WCW Must Die have often hypothesized that giving the belt to Steiner was the thing they should have done right off the bat. He is loved by people and also easily hated by people. Um, He can be your Stone Cold Steve Austin type character, but you can lean into the tweener aspects by sometimes, if you really need to, just having him do all-out heel stuff, but never in a way that makes him look like a weak heel, just in a way that's cheating. I don't really know any other way to put it. He's at the top of his game here. He eventually gets the title at the end of 2000, but by then it's too late. It's just too late. That fall of 2000 suffers the fallout of being infected with the Russo virus, and uh, you know it's too late. We've the the patient is in his last legs, even in the fall of 2000. So stick around for that when we get to it. And WCW must die. And talking about sticking around, stick around with the North South Connection feed, folks. Every day we're coming at you with a Cronoso Daily Pod Blast Monday through Friday. And there is a ton of evergreen content out there that will speak to whichever era of wrestling speaks the most to you. Uh, You know, you can let it build up, listen to it, knock it out in a weekend. You can do all kinds of fun stuff. And one weekend will not contain this content. I'm just saying maybe you've got a couple episodes of your favorite show. You've been putting off that yard work and it's time to binge. And then you can later purge those off your phone and download some more and have even more fun the next time you've got to uh, get shit done around the house. But come back and see us the next time we jump through the multiverse of fabulousness. 